Church Audio, striving to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and leave a rating and review. And please consider supporting this ministry through a tax-deductible donation at mountainview.church. That's mountainview.church slash give. Now here's this week's message. Asking questions is a critical component of growth and development. Infants can't speak, so they can't formulate a question. Nevertheless, who is being answered? Beginning with parents and expanding to family and close friends. Soon they're toddlers. Constantly asking what, as in, what's that? As they explore the world, placing names to the things they discover. Childhood is all about filling in the details of where and when. If you've ever been in a vehicle with a child, you've likely heard, where are we going? And when will we get there? A dozen times or more. The teen years, they're tough. They're tough years with tough questions related to identity and purpose, often starting with the questions why and how. These questions should always be taken seriously. Parents and authority figures should provide authentic, truthful answers, even if the answer is, I don't know. The answers may be difficult, but teenagers want to hear the truth. The circumstances may be challenging, but teenagers want to be a part of the solution. Throughout our Follow Me series, we've witnessed how the development stages of life give us insight into the developmental stages, spiritually, of discipleship. Today, we're unpacking the spiritual teen years, some of whom may in fact be teenagers. Others may be adults who are still growing toward that stage of spiritual maturity. And therefore, they're still working on their teen years of discipleship. This stage of discipleship should include mentorship and accountability with a church leader or a trusted adult within the church who has reached that level of spiritual maturity. Spiritual teens should also be discovering their spiritual gifts and using them on a regular basis. Depending on how a local church perceives and relates to these disciples, can have a significant impact on that local church in the years to come. As with the other stages, there are risks and rewards, but they're amplified during the teen years. This is because spiritual teenagers are formulating their long-term perspective as a follower of Jesus and as a member of the church. They'll start asking important internal questions about their place in both the universal church and the local church that they've been part of for years. Questions like, why am I here? How did I get here? Why should I stay here? And how do I belong here in this church? Church leaders and mature disciples must have good answers to these hard questions. As we discovered last week, simply relying on because the Bible says so won't be enough. Don't get me wrong. Scriptural truth lays a firm foundation, but we also have to tackle the social and philosophical struggles that they're working through. One of the writers of the book I introduced last week, titled Before You Lose Your Faith, 
emphasizes the hunger for answers that these young disciples have. She writes, the young Christians I know don't want a glass theology or a house of cards faith. They hunger for a deep, robust faith. Many younger Christians in one study reported feeling that, quote, they have been offered slick or half-baked answers to their thorny, honest questions. Part of our role in guiding and caring for young disciples is to tackle their hard questions. This is an integral part of helping them understand why they should continue following Jesus, and this helps them discover how they belong, again, not just in the universal church, but in their local church. When we're discipling spiritual teenagers, we must remember that if they don't have a place to ask why and how, they don't have a place to belong. Again, if they don't have a place to ask why and how, they don't have a place to belong. This shouldn't be a surprise to us, especially when we look at Jesus' relationship with his core group of 12 disciples. The quote-unquote why was always stated at the forefront, often in a creative metaphor, as we'll read about today. The quote-unquote how was fully unpacked over a three-year mentorship journey. If we're willing to learn, part of becoming a disciple of Jesus is to learn how to disciple like Jesus. In order to continue this thought, let's turn to the book of Matthew found in the Bible. If you have a physical Bible like I do, Matthew is actually the first book of the New Testament, and you can find that in the table of contents and get to the page number. If you don't have a Bible, you can easily access one, either at Bible.com or download a Bible app to your mobile device. If you would like a physical Bible like I have here, just text Bible to the number on the screen and we will mail you one. But if you're attending in one of our physical gatherings, you can just look under the seats in front of you and you can grab one and you can keep it. It can be yours. Now, once you get to Matthew, turn to chapter 4 and then scroll down to verse 18. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You might have noticed a difference between the video clip that we opened the message with and the passage that we just read. I believe the writers of The Chosen have done a fantastic job in presenting the gospel accounts while taking some creative control to emphasize certain characters and situations. However, the call of Simon and Andrew is one clip where... <laughs> I believe the writers made a significant error. How so, you may be wondering. Well, the mistake was that they removed the why. The why that is pivotal to Jesus' calling of these fishermen into discipleship. So let's read this again, specifically focusing on verses 19 to 21. And we'll unpack the why. Matthew 4, verse 19. And he, being Jesus, said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
we can't miss the statement that the writers of The Chosen miss. Why should Simon and Andrew follow Jesus? To become fishers of men, to move from fishers of fish to fishers of men. They were being invited into the most important why of their lives, the critical message and mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus was about to cast a wide net for all humanity and was inviting them, two fishermen, into that journey. Did they know exactly what that would look like? No, of course not. Did they know how fishing for human beings worked? Not a chance. Nevertheless, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He was standing there in front of them and calling them into discipleship. So how do they respond? Verse 20, it says, immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Their response is immediate. Simon and Andrew turned their backs on their trade as fishermen to be discipled by Jesus. This in itself is compelling. It makes us pause and ask ourselves, would I leave my entire livelihood to follow Jesus? Would I be able to drop everything to be his disciple? This account is shocking enough. But then Jesus decides he needs a couple more fishermen. He wants a couple more fishermen for his core group of 12 disciples. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 21, we read, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Much like Simon and Andrew, James and John are all in. They leave everything behind to follow Jesus and become his disciples. We now have four fishermen who have had their lives turned upside down by accepting Jesus' call into spiritual service to become, quote, fishers of men. And let's not miss Jesus' choice in these men. Although they didn't know it at the time, these fishermen would represent one third of Jesus' core disciples. This was not a normal procedure for a rabbi in the first century, by the way. Looking for disciples by the seaside would have seemed ludicrous. A typical rabbi would go to the religious schools looking for well-educated students, not tradesmen. Nevertheless, these four would begin an intensive three-year mentorship experience. They would learn from Jesus how to cast the wide net of gospel invitation to all people. They would learn how to serve, preach, and teach. They would perform miracles in Jesus' name. And Jesus' popularity would grow and many more disciples would be added. Then, suddenly, Jesus' popularity would plummet. Political and religious leaders wanted his following to end. Jesus would be arrested and his disciples would scatter. Simon's courage and faith would be tested and he would fail. Three times he would deny to be Jesus' disciple. Jesus was then crucified, died, and was buried. The disciples would endure traumatic, deep sorrow, although this was God's plan. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And suddenly, the plan unveiled miraculously. Their sorrow would be turned into a life changing celebration when God raised Jesus from the dead, defeating both death and sin. 
The resurrected Jesus would call Simon back, restoring him as Peter, meaning the rock. Chosen by Jesus to begin a new era of followers and disciples called the church. Jesus would ascend to heaven, but he wouldn't leave them alone. In John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. These four fishermen would eventually mentor their own disciples, who would in turn have their own disciples. And for 2,000 years now, this has continued. All along, the Holy Spirit continues to teach and remind us of what Jesus has taught. Disciples keep making disciples under the guidance of the Helper, God's Holy Spirit. With this account in mind, let's come back to our four stages of discipleship. Let's look again at these spiritual teen years. Over the past decade, the Western Church has frequently missed opportunities with disciples at this stage. We've mastered the methods of biblical education and church attendance, but life-on-life mentorship is hard to come by. Moreover, the role of the Holy Spirit, specifically in the area of gifting development, hasn't been offered or encouraged. These passionate and resourceful disciples are incredibly valuable to our local churches, but only if we include them, invest in them, and show them that they belong. If that doesn't happen, they'll experience a disconnect between the discipleship outlined in the New Testament and the one they're experiencing in their local church. Let's get started with the mentorship component, which is really a better word for us to use since Western discipleship has become very knowledge-based instead of life-on-life ministry. Unfortunately, habits of busyness and independence have slipped into our churches. The idea of mentoring, apprenticing, and developing the next generation of leaders will encroach on our me time, but it's essential to giving spiritual teenagers a sense of belonging. If you consider yourself a, a disciple who has reached a level of spiritual maturity, then you should be investing in younger disciples. We've already established that in this series. Perhaps ask yourself, when's the last time I asked a spiritual teenager out for lunch or coffee? When's the last time I listened to how their walk with Jesus is going? When's the last time I offered to help them with some of their tough questions? Now let's move on to the spiritual gifting development, which is a throwback to last week's message highlighting the propensity we have to give Bible knowledge without tangible spiritual growth. Spiritual gifts have been underemphasized and therefore underutilized by the Western church. Many who claim themselves as spiritual adults can't state their spiritual gifts. That's a problem. Maybe you don't know your spiritual gifts, but you consider yourself a spiritual adult. That's a problem. I would encourage any and every follower of Jesus to take some form of spiritual gift assessment. Ask your church leadership. I'm sure they have one. Uh, The one I prefer is found at spiritualgiftstest.com. Spiritualgiftstest.com. Go there now if you'd like. Once you have your results, don't stop there. You need to find a trusted church leader or a mature disciple who knows you well. Have them read your results and seek their affirmation. This unveils your place in the church and how you're a part of the body of Christ. You were uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to belong in that local church. 
Spiritual teenagers need to discover this. But what's the risk of spiritual teens not finding their place in the local church? What's the risk of them not belonging? Eventually, trust in the local church can be broken and skepticism can set in. Without a place of belonging, there's a risk of deconstruction or rebellion. How does this happen? The evidence gathered by church leaders has led to three main identifiers. First, as we've already discussed, why and how were tested. And second, in their testing of why and how, sometimes hypocrisy has been unveiled. And third, grace and truth were defined. The result was more truth than grace when their questions push traditional boundaries. This can happen. So what are the results? First, let's tackle deconstruction. This often begins when tough questions aren't taken seriously and answered authentically. A methodical, skeptical, cerebral unwinding begins where the disciple questions everything they've been taught. One writer defines deconstruction as the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. Now, where deconstruction is the slow burn exit of the spiritual teenager, rebellion is the explosive exit. Although beginning stages are similar, there is a quick turn from everything related to church and Jesus. Now, where deconstruction is kind of the slow burn exit, rebellion on the other side is the explosive exit. Although the beginning stages are similar, there is a quick turn in rebellion of everything related to church and Jesus. It is the hard break from Christianity, usually appearing in breaking stated or created rules in the church. A simple, maybe trivial example is when a Christian has grown up being taught that drinking any alcohol is sinful and evil. They've been told this over and over and over again until one day they figure out that Jesus drank wine. He actually turned water into wine. They begin asking questions about this and other issues, but spiritual adults in their life are faced with the tension of biblical truth and church tradition. They're embarrassed of what they've taught for years. So they maybe skirt the question. The disciple may start digging for similar supposed hard, fast rules, often based in tradition and not biblical text. The problem is each new revelation deepens their skepticism for anything and everything they were taught. If no one pauses, humbly reaching out to this disciple to acknowledge where they went wrong and to acknowledge their pain, the disciple may choose that hard, fast road to direct rebellion against anything related to Christianity. This, of course, is that final testing of grace and truth from that third identifier of spiritual teens. If the church turns their back on them entirely, they are resolved in their decision. The actions of the church proved their case, in a sense. And yet, if the church reaches out, even in their deepest rebellion, the grace of Jesus displayed in his church and the power of the Holy Spirit can still bring them back. 
It takes humility and authenticity, admitting where we've gone wrong and calling them back into a new or revived relationship, maybe under new set of rules, new set of guidelines, maybe being mentored, maybe being developed spiritually. It can happen. Whether a person has deconstructed or they've gone full-out rebellion, they can come back. Maybe you're experiencing or in the process of deconstruction or you've rebelled and for some reason you're listening to this. Don't close the door entirely. Think about it. Process it. Talk to Jesus yourself. Invite that same Holy Spirit that you did once experience. Invite him back to guide you, to remind you of what Jesus said. Pull away the institutionalism and the tradition that's maybe blocking you from hearing the voice of Jesus. Hear his call once again, giving you the answer to the why, why you're doing this in the first place, and showing you how, how to live out your faith authentically in this modern and yet fallen era. You are the church. You're still the church. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You can come back. Let's pray. Dear Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to seek out those that have maybe been ignored in the church. They haven't been invested in, they haven't found a place to belong, and they've left. They've either deconstructed their entire faith based on a hurt they've experienced, maybe they've rebelled entirely and, and they've built a life on on anti-Christianity and, and, and almost maybe even anti-Jesus. Father, they're lost, but you are about finding lost sheep. Help us have grace mixed with our truth. Help us reach out to these friends and family members. Use us to bring them back. And Father, if there's someone listening today watching today who has deconstructed or has rebelled, Father, please, in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, bring them back. We need spiritual teenagers, their passion and drive. We need it in our local churches. Bring them back and revitalize our churches. Bring revival through them. Help us who are Claiming to be spiritually mature adults, help us be open, help us be authentic, help us be humble, help us admit where we've gone wrong, apologize and ask forgiveness. May we take the first step in laying down maybe some traditional idols that have gotten the way of the next generation, experiencing true discipleship with your son Jesus. Father, in this next generation, help us do better. Help us mentor, apprentice, develop leaders. Help us emphasize spiritual gifts so that people can find their place in your body as outlined in your scriptures. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have three questions for today for you to discuss. If you're online, put the comments in, in the feed below. If you're in-house, gather in some small groups and chat about it. Uh, actually, two questions, one prayer for today. So the first question is, 
Are you currently in a mentorship experience or relationship? Is someone mentoring you or are you being mentored? So in the local church, are you being mentored or are you mentoring someone? Why or why not? Okay. Are you in a mentorship experience or relationship? Why or why not? Question number two, do you know your spiritual gifts and are you using them in your local church? Question two, do you know your spiritual gifts and are you using them in your local church? And the last item, number three, is a prayer request. Gather together after you've had a discussion and pray. Pray for those who have deconstructed and rebelled that God may bring them back. Pray that the Holy Spirit brings back those who have deconstructed or rebelled from the faith. Thank you so much for watching and being a part of Mountain View Church. Please come back next week as we move into our final stage of discipleship, which is spiritual maturity or spiritual adulthood. And maybe this whole time you have assumed that you are a spiritually mature adult. Well, we're going to find out if you are. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But we're going to find out what makes a spiritually mature adult in their discipleship journey. So come back and join us. Thanks. Church audio. If you've given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know at mountainview.church/connect. That's mountainview.church/connect. Have a blessed week.